Hello, Doug. We are on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, Hollywood had to Boulevard. had to double check yourself. I know. I had to think about like. where we were going. <laughs> Who knows where we're going? Do we ever really know? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we hope you guys are doing well. It's nice to be back. Uh, I had a quick sojourn to Chicago, and now I have returned. Um, and I managed in the two weeks since we did the last recording to um, catch a little bit of culture. So I'm happy to weigh in on on all of those things. You got anything, Karen, on your end? Um, I, you know, I feel like I might, but I might not. So why don't yeah. you kick us off, and I'll see if my memory comes back to me. Okay, we will. We will live in the question mark. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is something I saw. At the exact time we typically record this last week, uh, which is the new Broadway revival of the popular show Into the Woods. Have you ever now, seen it? I, no, I actually haven't. And I have to say, this rendition is getting raves all around. Yeah. And so I'm sorry to say, this will be like a mixed re- review <gasps> for me. What? I mean, I'm going to come off super heartless. There's no way to like sugarcoat it in any way. Um, it is a fine production in almost every way um, that started in uh, uh, like kind of innocently at the New York City Center, Center Encores in a like two week production that was always targeted for uh, a transfer to Broadway. Mm. Um, I mean, this show first ran on Broadway in 87, 88, and it's had one revival about 15 years after that. Uh, This is the second Broadway revival. Uh, It's also been done Shakespeare in the Park. It's also been done a thousand times in every city and in London and in every high school, blah, 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 blah. And before I get into the nitty gritty of some of the plot uh, of the show, the the thing is, in that time, in the nearly 35 years since the show has first uh, been seen, it's taken on a new life by like the new theater generation, which kind of loves talking about feeling their feelings a lot. And this show does that almost more than every other show, because it takes all of these fairy tale strands and James Lapine's book kind of entwines them all together. And there's a spoiler alert here. Act one shows all of these storylines getting their fairy tale ending. And then act two brings everyone back and shows that the fairy tale ending didn't last and new problems, serious problems emerge um, with some terrific songs interwoven among them um, and some unnecessary park and bark songs as well. But it's like, it's catnip to a very specific, look at me, I'm so solipsistic, feeling my thoughts out loud kind of audience to the point where I kind of got very little out of this production. I really? don't think it, I don't think it, I don't think it brought anything new to the fore. Um, it's also directed and staged by Lear de Bessonet, who who conceived it first for City Center's stage, right. which is supposed to be a no frills to low frills thing. City right. Center started with, you were still reading with the script in hand. The idea like you was were that, at music stands reading totally. the script. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were, you know, it was that you were bringing yourself and your skills to this, but you weren't, it wasn't 
taxing you too much because you were probably squeezing this in between other things that you were going to do. Um, and the production values to these things have now skyrocketed. Uh, we often get full costume and, and some big effects and everyone is almost always off book. Wow. But you, but you see, but you always like, you typically see the orchestra on the stage too, as opposed to beneath the stage or behind the stage or in the wings or whatever. And the production was blocked so that you would see your cast in the forefront. You'd see them downstage and the orchestra didn't move behind them. That has transferred intact to the St. James Theater on Broadway, where the show had opened. Um, And so now you've got all your cast members jammed downstage. Some of the action is even set with them on the floor. Um, You know, a giant factors into the story significantly. So many times they are being brought down to the floor, pushed down, laying down, falling. Cinderella is constantly falling downstairs as part of, uh, you know, her story. Um, Most people can't even see them then when that stuff happens. Uh, It should have been slightly reconceived. It is a visually beautiful production. Um, You know, the the costumes are are really quite thoughtfully done. Uh, The cast starts with Little Red Riding Hood. There's Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk. We also have the central characters are a baker and his wife who want but can't have children. A witch who comes in and says, if you get me these four items, I will I will cast the spell that will get you the baby that you so want. You have to get me what I need. Um, and what she really needs is, is a reunion with her daughter Rapunzel. Uh, we have Cinderella and her mean, wicked uh, stepmother and stepsisters, an ineffective father, a prince who eventually falls for her. These are the the, the storylines, um, and this is the first time. And I, this is a show I have done several times. This is a show I have seen multiple times. It's a show I grew up having seen the initial Broadway video recording, uh, had listened to the cast recording. Never before have all of the holes in the book stood out as much as they do in this one because something is missing and i think it's the idea of where do the fairy tales come from they come from people in life in real life sitting around thinking about all the things they don't have control over in their life fairy tales are parables for their lives and they show people who are able to overcome adversity and get the thing they want so what I've gotten from all the other iterations of the show that I've seen or done is a sense of vulnerability, a sense of helplessness, which is what brings these people together. I didn't feel any of that vulnerability. I felt a sense of like arrogance and entitlement pervasive through the entire production. Huh. It was a sense of like, these people, we're getting to do this show. We love this show. We know audiences are going to love whatever we do, which like you said, seems like all audiences are doing indiscriminately. Um, and I just got a sense of they're not doing anything here. A show that should bring you to your knees by the end of Act Two, when almost every character in their storylines has experienced a loss. It just it felt not, not tedious, because I still enjoyed watching it. But for the first time, I felt a sense of, well, you have a song called No More about having taken, having withstood everything you can take. That song should gut you. And it's, instead, it just felt like, okay, here's a number we got through. 
Um, and then it's followed by a song called No One Is Alone, in which your surviving protagonists seem to band together and say, hey, we're in this together. We've got each other. Should bring a catharsis. Just brings you to the final number of the show. You know, and that's true of, of almost everything. Um, the little red character is played by an actress named Julia Lester, who's bringing so much modern day cynicism to the part there's no innocence left the whole point of this character is she encounters a big bad wolf and then sings about now my eyes are a bit more open to the world i know things now is the song it's supposed to be like well this is what comes from growing older innocence gives way to experience and there's a very bittersweet thing to that and it's just sarcasm it's like it doesn't really have the same weight you know jack has a song about Magic beans, building a beanstalk that lead him to the the sky. Giants in the sky is the song. And Lear de Bessonette has him directed so that at one point he mentions uh, Giant holding me to her big breast, and then he mimics covering an erection. Like, that kind of lowbrow humor is, is very now. It's the mm. kind of thing that now audiences take to and cheer and will applaud loudly. But it takes me out of the song. And that in particular is one of the better songs in the show because it actually does move story further. That It's not a wall-to-wall number um, that doesn't do anything from before the beginning of the song to the end of the number. It actually takes you to a new place. It gives you more information. And all I'm really thinking of is, all right, well, now Jack's got a stiffy. Um, so stuff like that. Um, who else can I talk about in the cast? Sarah Bareilles plays the baker's wife and Brian Darcy James, who is one of the great undersong Broadway actors is the baker. But sadly he was out with COVID when I saw him, he came down, he was tested positive during late previews, which meant he wasn't even in opening night. And I saw him right after, uh, or I saw the show right after. So I didn't get to see him. Um, And yet Jason Forbuch, Forbuch, I think is how you say the name of the understudy. Uh, is kind of a terrific discovery. I thought he's great. Um, he and Sarah Bareilles work well together. I think Sarah Bareilles does a really credible job. She seems to be seems to be one of the biggest draws in the show. Um, I think she's fine. Uh, you know, every now and then, I think there's too a delivery that feels a little too modern speechy, as opposed to slightly more theatrically tailored. Hmm. But by and large, she is good. Philippa Sue. Uh, is Cinderella, gorgeous voice, really lovely performance. Um, she is a replacement for Danae Benton, who had done it at City Center, but is now filming The Gilded Age for HBO Max, so couldn't do the Broadway commitment. The two of them had actually swapped roles uh, in the opposite direction when they did Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. Philippa Sue had done it um, off-Broadway, and then was busy doing that little show Hamilton when it was a uh, great comet's turn to Broadway. So Danae Benton was cast. Um, Heather Headley, who was magnificent as Aida and won a Tony for it, was the witch at City Center. But she, too, is filming Sweet Magnolias right now. Right. Um, so she's replaced by Patina Miller, who I don't think has done a Broadway show since she herself won a Tony in Pippin nine years ago. Oh, wow. And I don't know if it's the time away or if it's just her or what, but kind of everything she's doing was off here as the witch. 
uh, her diction was bad. Um, her singing was all over the place. She, instead of doing kind of stage inflections, she was singing like she was doing an R&B record from the 90s. I was like, if this was Anita Baker playing the witch, I'd get it. But it's not. This is someone who's supposed to be singing for the stage. Um, so cumulatively, all these things sound like, you know, petty criticism. Uh, it's just I, I still enjoy the show. I still enjoyed this production, but I found a lot really struck me and took me out of the show. Um, again, one of the uh, overarching things I've been saying over the last few years are the critics are becoming less critical about their sacred cows when they come to Broadway Mm -hmm. and into the woods. I mean, there's a cow in the show. I haven't even talked about, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Into the woods is a show that like theater people really feel a lot of ownership over and they're very protective of. And, uh, and I guess just uncritical of, and, and I don't share that uncritical eye, I suppose. I do want to say, yes, there is a lot of great puppetry. Um, Kennedy Kanagawa is an onstage puppeteer who manipulates Jack's cow, Milky White. Um, And it's really, it's really fun. Uh, At some points it's moving. But one thing that, and I know I'm criticizing so much here, but one thing that the puppeteer does that bothers me is he makes faces for the cow so when the cow is supposed to be alert, like there's one line where someone says the butcher is here and the cow looks very upset because the puppeteer is making a scared face. And then the the joke is, no, not the butcher, the baker. And then the cow is supposed to relax. And like, in addition to the cow being manipulated by the puppeteer, the puppeteer is also changing his expression. So I'm like, you know, it's cute, but it's also a cheat. And you're doing so well with the puppetry as is. We don't uh, need it. Uh, the puppetry is uh, done by James Ortiz, so I should give him a shout out. I believe he had also done he the, the dinosaur for the skin of our teeth, right. among many other recent things. And he did the woodsman a million years ago at fifty nine e fifty nine. Oh, was his so debut. you've worked with him? Yeah, I worked with him. Yes, which was like his New York debut. Wow. So I mean, uh, I could go on. I feel like you kind of get it. I don't think there is anything. I've left out. Uh, I do want to give credit to the actor playing Jack, who uh, it was also an understudy, Alex Joseph Grayson, subbing in for Cole Thompson. I'm sure Cole Thompson is a solid actor, but I saw uh, Alex Joseph Grayson, who was very good. Um, you know, the the lighting is, is really good. Um, I think uh, I think that's kind of all I can say. For me, it wasn't a religious experience. Um, it's a fine summer night at the theater. Here's my question: um, Did this was this a direct transfer from City Center? Because I feel like it was at City Center, and then boom, it was on Broadway. Yeah, that's what happened. Right after I think they closed at City Center, they made the announcement about the move, and they made the announcement about who the cast was going to be and which cast changes were there. And I think the the goal and the plan was yeah. I was going to say then I think that I think the plan was always the, for this to yeah. move directly to Broadway. This there was no surprise. I don't think it was like by the time it it really came to fruition for city center. It was already a foregone conclusion behind the scenes that this was coming to Broadway. Uh, Incidentally, Brian Darcy James was not at city center. That was Neil Patrick Harris. No, did Neil Patrick Harris 
and then, oh, and I forgot to say the two princes were played by Gavin Creel and by Josh Henry. Uh, Joshua Henry is underused as uh, Rapunzel's prince, and Gavin Creel, again, I'm criticizing, hams it up far too much as as the, the prince. So, I mean, as Cinderella's prince. So, you know, the show at this point is Teflon. I It's so beloved now. I can't believe it did not win Best Musical uh, during its season. It it lost to Phantom of the Opera, which by now, it's no one who thinks they're cool has anything nice to say about Phantom. So that's how much the pendulum has swung in the opposite <laughs> direction in that time. Uh, but there you have it. Into the Woods is, at present time, while recording this, enjoying an eight-week run that ends in August. There's a lot of murmuring that it's going to end up extending, maybe moving from one theater to another, but continuing its run, maybe a couple other cast members are replaced at first. Uh, maybe the idea is the whole cast gets replaced while the machine keeps running. So stay tuned. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I know. Where is your heart, Doug? It is, and it is a show that, you know, I have loved for a large part of my life. But uh, I don't know. Just uh, this one felt a little insincere to me. So All there right. you go. Into the woods. Into the woods. And now is when you're going to say, Doug, you're an idiot and I disagree with everything you have to say because I'm going to go against the grain again and talk about how I'm in the minority and actually really enjoying the newest Marvel movie, the newest Thor, Thor, Love and Thunder. Okay. I didn't see it, so. Um, have you seen the other Thors by chance? No, Thor ain't my thing. I didn't. I, I didn't think so. Um, well, there was a big shift. This is the fourth Thor movie. The Thor appears in a bunch of the other Avengers um, and other Marvel crossovers over the last twelve years or so. Um, Taika Waititi, who did what we do in the shadows and Jojo Rabbit, among other things came in and did the third Thor five years ago, Thor Ragnarok, which was a much more comedic, colorful, kind of softer uh, and very 80s embracing movie. And he's continuing that with Love and Thunder, um, which features a new villain in Christian Bale, um, who is a man who has lost everything and avowed the gods he once prayed to and, and now is going to destroy uh, all of the children of the existing gods and leaving it to, to Thor, who's kind of been enjoying just like a nice life on Earth to, to save the children. Uh, meantime, he has broken up with the girlfriend we knew he had from prior movies. That's Jane, played by Natalie Portman. Um, and when we meet Jane at this point, she actually has stage four cancer. So she's dealing with something really serious and goes, uh, uh, I guess, to uh, <laughs> the theme park, Asgard, Asgard World, or uh, I think is what it's called, New Asgard, um, and also becomes a Thor. So suddenly she has super heroic abilities, just like her ex-boyfriend, and they are reunited in their quest to vanquish um, uh, Gore, 
which is the character played by Christian Bale. Mm. Um, and so their journey ultimately takes them. They have some allies along the way, and it, it, they also try and solicit help from Zeus, played in a scene-stealing small part by Russell Crowe. It's probably the second best thing I've ever seen Russell Crowe do after The Insider. Um, I don't know. I think the I think the humor works. I think there's lots of Guns N' Roses music in it. I think I think the whole flavor fits the material like a glove. And I don't know if it's people that like their Marvel movies a certain way that's a bit more self-serious or people who are who think that it's this is just too lowbrow or what. But I really liked it. And I think Chris Hemsworth meets the demands head on. I think he's I mean, he still looks the part clearly uh but (laughs) but i think he's got a great sense of humor about the role and i think i kind of think he's doing the heavy lifting in the scenes with natalie portman quite frankly um i don't know i uh i had a really good time i genuinely liked it i sort of hear without paying too much attention the criticism uh of why they think it's a lesser marvel movie but me who thinks who doesn't just give Marvel movies a free pass, but thinks each one kind of needs to win me over on its own terms. Think this and Ragnarok did that far more uh, superlatively than a lot of the other Marvel movies have done. So there's that. Hmm. However, uh oh, I also saw another Chris Hemsworth movie this weekend called Spiderhead on Netflix. Never even and, heard of that. Well, I would have I didn't hear about it until it had dropped. I was like, oh, what is this? It's actually adapted from one of my favorite authors, George Saunders, who'd written a story, I believe for the New Yorker, um, called Escape from Spiderhead. Um, and it follows a few inmates in this really like sort of luxe fi- fictional um prison who who take part in experiments with mind altering drugs that are sort of monitored by um, this, like this really sleek system of cell phone devices. Uh, And Chris Hemsworth is um, the, he's the doctor who's administering all these tests. And um, Miles Teller is the primary inmate who submits to all of these tests. And it's one of those movies where you kind of think, okay, the doctor is probably up to something that's no good. And eventually, Miles Teller and some of the other prisoners are going to increase their awareness of uh, what's happening. And that's kind of what happens. Okay. There isn't really a sense of surprise here. Um, I'll withhold on giving away some of the other specifics, maybe that befall these characters and and the others, including another inmate played by Journey Smollett Brown. Uh, is it Smollett Bell? Um, anyway, Journey Smollett, who I've been watching since Eve's Bayou. Um, I have to believe that it is a little different than the short story. But... Um, but I don't know. George Saunders himself was not one of the two men who adapted it, so I don't really know. Uh, it is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who also directed the other Miles Teller movie that came out earlier this summer, Top Gun Maverick, which I really liked. Um, so, I don't know. If you have Netflix, if you're <laughs> bored, if you're a Chris Hemsworth uh, completist, 
go for it. Uh, here's the thing. Chris Hemsworth can't quite sell this movie. Like, I think he's good with humor. I think he's good as an action hero. I mean, obviously, look at him. Um, but something that requires a bit more, like, sublimation here. That's not, like, huge, high drama, but requires right. you to really be doing character work. Um, I think he struggles with a little bit. Huh. Okay. I don't know that I've seen him in much. I feel like I've seen Liam Hemsworth in, in more than I've seen Chris Hemsworth in. Um, I mean, let me think. What else have I seen Chris Hemsworth do? I know that I've liked him in that Ghostbusters remake where he was comic relief. Um, I know there was something else that I saw him do that was not Thor. And it is... Gosh, I don't know what it is. Right? I mean, I feel like he's in so much that I never see. Well, I know that I know he's done some other action-oriented things I haven't seen. Like In the Heart of the Sea and Black Hat. Uh, I don't know. I think he was in one of those like Snow White remakes. Is he in the one? Oh, maybe he was in the one with what's her name, right? Was it Kristen Stewart? Yeah. Was he in the one with Kristen Stewart? Yeah, and Charlize? Yeah. I think I saw that, and I think I have no memory of it. Okay, so then I've Which seen is no, him. So that, and that's no reflection on him in that. So then I've seen him in an ad movie. Like, 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 this guy's like a huge mega star, yeah, and I've seen like, him in an ad movie. stars du jour, and we're like, I don't think I've seen him in anything. <laughs> like, I've seen him in nothing. <laughs> Which uh, says more than a lot. Yeah. It's just kind of wild. Well, I think it's because mostly he's been doing Thor, right? Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, he's kind of probably like... he's probably got like fifteen to twenty credits where he's Thor. Yeah, and I don't watch Thor, so yeah. yeah, like it's not my it's not my gig. Yeah, well, when they pay me to watch them, I'll watch all of them. Although I guess I've seen most of them by now. <laughs> uh. But yeah. Um, All right. And I'll just quickly throw out one other movie that I saw that I'm still on the fence a, a, about how I feel. It's a horror movie called X. Um, it's by a guy named Ty West. I think it's Ty. T-I. Um, and it's set in 1979. It's very derivative of Texas Chainsaw. I mean, they may view it as an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It lifts very liberally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's um, it involves a porn actress, a porn producer, a couple, a porn director, a porn filmmaker, another porn star that go to this uh, really isolated farmhouse to film a movie. Um, and there's a really kind of scary looking older couple um, that may pose a very real threat to, to these five innocent people that came here to make the porn. Um, I think the film is trying to, based on some of the dialogue, have some sort of retro commentary about like the way we judge the porn industry and there's some sort of psychosexual element that I think is being pursued there. I don't know if it really works. Eventually, there's a body count, and I think there's few surprises or few real scares. I was hoping for something more. And yet, 
I still found myself liking it when all was said and done. That may be in part due to the cast, led by Mia Goth, um, who I haven't seen in a ton. Um, she's in some kind of art house movies that I've liked. She's in the movie High Life uh, with Robert Pattinson. She was in the remake of Suspiria. She was in the remake of Emma, which I saw just before the pandemic. And like, that maybe it that I know her from? Um, she's actually very good. Uh, Jenna Ortega is another younger actress. She was in the recent Scream sequel. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought she handled herself really well in that. I think she's good in this. Brittany Snow, who I've known of for like 20 years, is good. I'm kind of surprised she took this part um, as a porn actress, but she's good. Um, by and large, it's, it's a good cast. Uh, but I think ultimately it just kind of gives into the tropes of the horror genre. And I always want my horror movies to be a little bit better just so people can't dismiss it as just a horror movie. And I'm still, like I said, on the fence of kind of dismissing it as just a a horror movie. Oh, Oh. and where'd you see that? Was that on streaming? Uh, I rented it from my library. Oh, so I don't think it's available to stream for free anywhere, but you can probably, uh, get it on demand either through your cable service or, or Amazon, I suppose. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I think I'll have more to talk about next week, though I don't know what that might be yet. Yeah, and I'll try to remember what it was I was going to talk about. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll talk about this on the podcast, and then the podcast comes, and I'm like, oh, I've got nothing. Yeah, usually I, usually I remember all of the things that I'm going to talk about on the weekend before we talk. And then on the day of, if I haven't written it down, I'm like, oh, wait, what was I going to talk about? (laughs) What did I have? I mean, and usually I do have, like, I have a list of stuff that I anticipate getting to in the coming weeks. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But, um, oh, but I actually, I'm going to throw this out here to keep us honest. You've talked about it before, but now we've seen more of it. And I was wondering if we could have a, a reconvene on Yellowstone, if you've seen more of it. Oh, yeah. I think, I'm, I think I'm completely caught up. So, yes, okay. we can reconvene on that at some point. Um, so, yeah. Good. I'm just when... putting that out there. Okay. Have you watched it? We haven't caught, we're, we haven't seen all of the new season yet. New, like nine months old, but the most recent. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wait, I the, I think the last time, but I didn't know you started watching it. When we talked about it, we're talking, we're going back like a year and a half or two years, and I had yeah, seen like it. ages ago, yeah. So in the interim, we've seen most of it. Oh, um, we're I hoping, didn't know you we're, just... hoping to, we're hoping to finish season four real soon. Oh, I didn't even know. Okay, I didn't realize you had started. Can we just say, do you think? without necessarily getting into it. Do you think they were snubbed with the Emmys? Well, I'll, I want that to be part of the conversation. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but yes, my, my tease is, I think there was snubbing going on. I agree. I, I will agree. Say, I will say we can dive into the Emmys a bit more in, in at length when we talk about this show, perhaps, but... I did some predicting and I thought Yellowstone was definitely getting in several major categories and I was sad it did not. And it got zero. Yeah. Zero. And I think 
I think there are I think there's a larger conversation to be had about that. I'm happy to have it. I don't know that you have to dig too deep to like come to reasons why, but I'm happy to have that conversation. Okay, yeah. I w- I'm curious what why why you think it is. I, I yeah, got- we're like eager to get through some of the other things we have to get through to see more of the show. Um, but maybe if we haven't even finished all of it by next week's recording, maybe we'll just talk about it anyway. Because because we're we're like dying to find other people we can talk about it with, and it's odd the people who do and don't watch it. Really, are you finding a lot of people haven't watched it? Yeah. Really. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we're gonna have to break because I have theories. Yeah, I want to hear them, and so I want. I'm gonna make all of you listening wait. We I are have gonna theories. we're gonna hold out. Uh yeah. Okay. So no matter what, we're gonna talk about Yellowstone next week. Yay! Count on it. Okay. I'm going. All right. Bed. Karen, by the way, is already in her pajamas. Yeah, I'm in my jammies. I'm so ready. All right. Well, far be it from me to keep you from slumber. So uh, by all means. Go to bed. Have a great week. Listeners, stay cool. Uh, Enjoy your July. And we'll be back next week on the Boulevard. Bye.